Welcome to Frontline Church South OKC Sermon Podcast. Each week we will have new sermon content from Sunday mornings, both video and audio options. Please visit south.frontlinechurch.com for more information. If you have any questions, need prayer, or have any other needs at all, please email hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. The scripture for today's teaching is Mark 4, 21 through 34. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought, brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to, make, to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it'll be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes, becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make the nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of God to us. Thanks be to God. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Hey, what's up, friends? Welcome to Frontline. If, uh, if you do not know me, my name is Brandon. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, if, you're, uh, if you're just joining us today, um, we, uh, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark uh, for a little bit now, since, uh, since Easter, I think. And uh, this is a series that's going to take us all the way through uh, next Easter. So uh, thank you for being with us today. And uh, if you have been with us, specifically if you were with us last week, uh, you heard us just now read that sermon text, and you're like, oh shoot, is this a rerun? Like, I didn't even know these sermons were in syndication. What's happening? Um, but it just turns out that Jesus has a lot of material on seed and sowers, and so some of this is going to sound a little familiar uh, to what we did last week, um, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, this is good stuff. So um, if you're just jumping in with us, uh, I, what I want to do is uh, show us where we're going to pick up in the narrative today, and um, to do that, here's, here's where we're, uh, we're going to uh, be. Uh, to get you up to speed, uh, to give you a refresher, um, if we can just sort of rewind uh, back all the way to Mark chapter 1, uh, here's where we started. Um, when Jesus came onto the scene, uh, after he had been baptized and after he had kind of been in the wilderness for a bit, uh, in, in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, as he, as he sort of kicked off his, his earthly ministry, 
Um, this is how he did it. Uh, he came onto the scene and he started out his ministry by saying, uh, hey, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's an important phrase, so remember that. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And then since that time, as we've, as we've kind of trekked through this, uh, this book, we've seen little glimpses of the kingdom of God, haven't we? We've seen Jesus healing the sick. We've seen Jesus casting out demons. We've seen him uh, healing people with disabilities. We've seen him preaching with authority. We've seen him forgive sins. Like, like we've seen all of these things. We're seeing all these little glimpses of the kingdom. And, um, and the big idea is that Jesus is saying, hey, hey, my kingdom is breaking into this present reality, this present reality which has sickness and depression and a lot of broken things, right? Like that's the way this world is. But my kingdom, right, there's no sickness. There's no oppression, Right? There's no pain. There's no brokenness. And so we're seeing little, little pieces of his kingdom coming in and breaking into our world. And so whenever he heals somebody, it's Jesus saying, boom, that's what my kingdom is like, right? There is no sickness in my kingdom. And so we're seeing the kingdom of God start to break in to our present reality. That's exciting. And that's what he means when he says, hey, the kingdom is at hand. And yet, four chapters in sick people are still showing up, right? They're, they're still uh, physical and spiritual opposition, right? Um, politically, things are still kind of a mess, right? Rome is still in power. And, and so all of this sort of begs the question, Jesus, if the kingdom of God is at hand, like if, if your kingdom is really here, why are things still the way they are, right? Why are things still the way they are? And I don't know about you, but that's a question that I have sometimes, right? It wasn't just the disciples going, hey, Jesus, when are you going to go ahead and overthrow Rome and, and restore your people and make all things new? When are you going to do that, right? Like I sometimes find myself wondering, Jesus, if your kingdom was really at hand 2,000 years ago, how come today this place is still so broken and, and messed up? And, and dark. Like, like, why am I experiencing this? Why are my friends experiencing what they're experiencing? Like, if your kingdom is really at hand, why are things the way they are? And so where we find ourselves today is in, in the middle of Jesus actually anticipating all of those questions and, and pushback and, and teaching on what the kingdom is actually like, what it's actually like correcting some wrong views that I have and that you have, right? Helping us to sort of manage our expectations um, about the kingdom. But, but here's what's really amazing and, and what's really helpful about Jesus is that he does not just stop there, right? He doesn't just say, here's the kingdom and then stop. He's gonna tell us all about the kingdom in a way that's also gonna reveal a whole, whole lot about the king. And that's huge. Um, I, I don't know about you guys, but growing up, um, I grew up in the church. And, uh, and for me, the kingdom of God and heaven was like just always a feature on Sunday mornings. And, um, and it was always sort of like the main thing, like the, the whole thrust of almost every sermon and every preacher that talked was like, hey, I'm going to tell you about heaven and I'm going to tell you about hell. And Jesus was just kind of the middleman. He was sort of the ticket 
to keep you out of hell and get you to heaven. But that was kind of it. And, um, and I heard a lot of sermons. I heard a lot of preachers just try to preach this vision of the kingdom of heaven that was just really compelling and really amazing, but it just always fell flat. And it always seemed really, really hollow. Right? Like I can remember a preacher preaching on, hey, the kingdom of heaven is really amazing and there are these streets of gold and it's just really beautiful and there are streets of gold. And hey, did I mention there are streets of gold? And I was like, as a kid, like, who cares, man? Is it my gold? Like, do I get some of it? Like, what is even the value of gold in a place where they're just paving streets with it? Like, I do not understand. And, uh, and so like in, in a lot of ways, like my, my view of the kingdom was so skewed and I, and I think probably one of, the, one of the best or worst examples of this, uh, depending on how you look at it, was uh, a little thing that uh, we called Fifth Sunday Sing. Anybody? Um, if you don't know, just count your blessings. Um, Fifth Sunday Sing was uh, a thing that uh, happened, and I think maybe still happens. No judgment, but um, it was something that happened in a lot of churches where there would be, uh, if there was ever a fifth Sunday in a month, they would just go, hey, you know, instead of a sermon, what would be great is if we just had everybody stand up the entire time Maybe we double the length of the service. Like, let's just try that out. And uh, everybody grab a hymnal, and then we'll just start at the front and just work our way through. That lady on the piano is just, her fingers will be bleeding, but that's okay, because we're just going to sing the entire time. Sometimes there'll be special music. I don't know. We'll just, we'll see. We'll get wild. And, um, and as a kid, it was just torture. But I, I remember a lot of these Fifth Sunday scenes, and, uh, and like the, the music minister would get up, and like at some point, he would like pause in the middle of a stanza, and he would go, go like, isn't this great? This is exactly what heaven is going to be like. And I was a kid and I was like, hey man, maybe it's just me, but I kind of think everybody in this room under the age of a hundred is sitting here going, come on, buddy. Like, uh, you're talking about heaven, but I kind of think you mean the other one. Cause this is not, this is not what I'm doing forever. And, uh, and I say that I say that because for me, I think there were a lot of reasons that my view and my vision of the kingdom was diminished, right? There were a lot of reasons for that. But here's, here's the number one reason why my view of the kingdom was diminished. Because my view of the kingdom very rarely, if ever, included the king. Like almost never, right? It was just like, hey, here's this great kingdom, but, but no king. And what Jesus is going to do in this moment, and what he's doing in this text, is he's saying, hey, let me tell you about my kingdom, which, by the way, is way better than anything that you have ever thought of or could dream up or that anybody has ever preached to you. It's way, way better than that. But also, and this is, this is, this is really good news, you're also going to get a way clearer picture of what the king is like, what King Jesus is like, and that is going to change everything. So today we're going to unpack these three parables where Jesus, the king, is going to teach us about the kingdom, but what's going to happen at the same time is uh, as we look at the, the kingdom, uh, we're going to look at three things that the kingdom actually teaches us about the king, what the kingdom actually reveals about who he is and what he's like. And I want to just say this as a side note before we dig into this. If you're with us today and you're not a follower of Jesus, like you're here and you would say, and I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to like raise your hand or put you on the spot, but if you would just say like, I'm not a Christian, I want to, I want to welcome you, but I also just want to say like, 
whatever the reason is for not following Jesus, whatever, you know, whatever, if you, if you come here today and you've got church hurt, maybe you've been a victim of abuse in a church, uh, or, or maybe you just have old wounds, or maybe you just have a really low view of uh, institutions or organized religion or whatever it is, hey, I just want to say, like, there are a lot of conversations that I would love to have. I know our pastors would love to have. We would love to process objections that you may have to Christianity. All of that stuff is, like, like we are good for it. Like, nothing is off limits. But here's the thing. The, the big deal today, the thing that you've got to see and that you've got to wrestle with is this. Who is Jesus, right? Okay, so, so like don't take that as like a, a confrontational dig at you. I, I, I say that uh, as, as lovingly as possible. It's an invitation. The thing I want to invite you to wrestle with is, you know, not whether you like religion or not. I don't care about that but I really, really do care how you respond to Jesus and who he is. So, so please wrestle with that, okay? Okay, so three things that the kingdom teaches us about the king today. Number one, Jesus illuminates and reveals. Jesus illuminates and reveals. Look again at verse 21. Jesus said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden, except to be made manifest. Nor is anything secret, except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it'll be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Here's, here's up front, just kind of an important note. Uh, Mark, uh, he didn't write this gospel in English. He wrote it in Greek. And, uh, and kind of a, a geeky fact, but a really important one is this. When he wrote this, uh, the, the article that he used in verse 21 is, is not the word a. Right? He, he actually didn't write is a lamp brought in. Right, That's just the way that we've translated it over time, but he actually uses the definitive article, which may not seem important, but here's how it changes it, right? What we, what we just read is, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket, which kind of just sounds like he wants to talk about lamps. But what he actually wrote is, does the lamp come in order to be put under a basket or under a bed? So Mark's not just talking about any old lamp. He is talking about the Lamp. He's talking about the light of the world. And here's why that matters because Jesus is the lamp. Jesus is the lamp. Jesus is the light that shows us the kingdom. He illuminates. As we dig into these parables, what we're going to see is that Jesus is ultimate meaning and truth and beauty and reality in his word. Jesus is the one that illuminates for us and shows us how life works best. With, without Jesus, there are things that, yeah, we can know, we can know things about the world through, through science and, and through math. There are things that we can know about ourselves through physiology, psychology, history, things like that. But we cannot know God. We cannot know the purpose of the world. We, we cannot know ourselves as we're known by God. Without Jesus, we are in darkness. We're in darkness. 
We can, we can try to light candles, but, but the very best we can get are uh, shadows of reality, not reality. Jesus is the lamp. That's, that's good news. He illuminates. But here's the catch. We, we, know, um, we know that it's good news that Jesus lights our path, that he illuminates, um, but he's also the lamp that reveals. And that is not always so much fun, right? He shows us some of the stuff that we don't always want to see. Uh, when I was a, a kid, um, I, I remember this time my family was moving out of our house, and we lived in this house for over a decade. Uh, my brother and I shared a room. We had a bunk bed, and we had all this really bulky furniture, and so we needed help to move this furniture because we were small kids. And uh, I do want to emphasize that I was a small kid. You'll understand why at the end of this story. Um, but uh, So my parents came in to our room, and they helped us move all of this furniture, and it was great. Uh, and uh, my dad called me into the room, and he was like, hey, I, I need your help to understand why when I moved the bunk bed away from the wall, I slept on the bottom bunk, um, that back in the recesses of the bunk bed and the place that's normally concealed by darkness and back in the shadows, I noticed that on the wall there were hundreds, maybe thousands of boogers just all on the wall. And... Um, and I was like, well, Dad, I think that is just uh, the painters didn't paint over the texture. But I had like a poster on the wall, and he like tore that off, and it was like smooth. And I was like, okay, so those are boogers. Um, and, um, and the reason I say that is because <laughs> it's, really, it's really great when you have help, right? It's really great when Jesus comes to you as the light, as the lamp, when you realize that you're in darkness and you really need help, right? When you need to find your way and Jesus is the one who lights your path, but it's way, way different when he starts to open doors and you didn't want him to open. When he starts to aim a spotlight in that dark corner of the room where you didn't want anybody to see, right? Right, and he starts to see all of that stuff. And, and this, is what, this is where Jesus comes to us and he says, hey, with the the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus is the lamp, and that's good news to us. And it's also uncomfortable. That's a package deal. And we've got two, two options in how we respond to that and how we, how we deal with that. Um, the first option is that we can put the lamp on the stand. We can invite the kingdom into all of those really gross, broken, ugly places. We can hold fast to Jesus and his word. We can love and obey him. We can follow him. And we can know that he's going to give us more grace, more of himself, more of his kingdom. Or we can douse that light, which does indeed have the benefit of uh, hiding all of the stuff that's really ugly, but it also plunges you back into the darkness. And, and before we go on, I think, I think that you just have to deal with that, right? How are you dealing with the lamp? How are you responding to Jesus? Because light is a really tricky thing. It doesn't, it doesn't like mix with the darkness. Like we don't have like 
parts of the room that are like lit up and then other parts of the room that are pitch black. It either is or it isn't, right? So we don't get to like live in some light and then also have other stuff that's like pushed back into the dark. You've got to deal with that. And how you deal with Jesus has huge implications on your place in his kingdom. And so the question is, do you want more of the light or do you want to hide in the darkness? Jesus illuminates and he reveals. Second thing that we learn here is that Jesus is patient and productive. He's patient and productive. He finishes what he starts. Verse 26, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. In a lot of ways, uh, this is a really simple parable. Jesus is pointing to the reality of the now and not yet of his kingdom, which is uh, something we talk about from time to time, that Jesus' kingdom is here now, right? That's why in Mark chapter 1, he could say the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, but it is not fully here, right? So we, don't, we don't see, full, like there's still sickness, there's still brokenness in our world. It's not fully here yet. So we're in this weird middle place in the same way crops are planted, right? But it, it takes a while before the harvest is ready, right? So it points to the, the now and the not yet. But this also shows us that King Jesus is a really, really patient king. He's a really patient king. And for all the ways that you and I love instant gratification, right? Like we would love to just skip straight to the end, right? We would love to skip all of the the weeding and the watering and the cultivation and the pruning. And we would love to just get to the end. We often forget that we are the beneficiaries of Jesus' patience, right? There was a time when I was wandering in darkness, and Jesus was patient with me. There was a time where I was fruitless and it looked like I might never grow up. And Jesus didn't, didn't walk away from me and do something else and, and give up. He waited. He, he extended grace. So Jesus is patient If you're a follower of Jesus, he was patient with you. That's part of your story. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, Jesus is patient with you. There's there's more to the story because Jesus is also productive. And and what I mean by that is not that, well, he's eventually going to run out of patience. But what I mean is that the seed has been planted. And once the seed goes in the ground, it sort of just sets this whole uh, set of events in motion, this whole series of events in motion that is inevitably going to lead to this great harvest, right? Jesus started something and he's going to finish what he started. Jesus is patient because he doesn't give up on the seed before it's ready and he doesn't try to reap a harvest before it's, it's ready, uh, before it's time, but he's productive. So when it's harvest time, it's harvest time. 
And when Mark uses this imagery of the harvest, he's referencing the judgment of God that is coming. And the picture is that while he is a patient God, he is also determined to bring about that harvest. And we should not presume upon his patience and presume upon his grace. There's a sense of urgency here. Listen, listen to the way that God describes himself to Moses in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. He says, I'm a, I'm a God who's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. You see how patient he is. But who will by no means clear the guilty? Friends, some of you, you may think that you are savvy enough to douse the light and live in the darkness and then slip into the kingdom with your final breath. And the good news for you today is that God is patient. He's merciful, gracious, slow to anger. He's loving. But there will come a day when that last domino falls and it'll be harvest time. And and I don't know when that's going to happen and you don't know when that's going to happen. So he's patient, but there is a harvest coming. And so you need to decide today if you want to live in the light or you want to live in the darkness, but don't presume upon his patience and his grace because the day will come when it will be too late. If you trust in Jesus, the day is also coming where this small seed will grow into maturity. So on that note, the third thing we learn about the king is that Jesus uses what seems insignificant to write a better story. Verse 30, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Again, this parable is pretty straightforward, right? It's tiny mustard seed, small, fragile, insignificant, seems unimportant, and it's planted, and it grows into the largest plant in the garden, giving shade, giving refuge to the birds of the air, right? And in the same way, the advance of the kingdom of God in us and through us isn't a magic trick. It's not a lightning bolt. It's not a shock and awe campaign. It is like the subtle planting of a tiny seed that disappears into the ground and then slowly grows into maturity. And this tells us a lot about the kingdom. And it also tells us a lot about a king who is deeply, deeply interested in things that seem small, things that seem insignificant, in things that to the watching world seem unimportant. Tells us that he's a God that is acquainted with the pain of our stories, the brokenness of our stories, 
And he's also a God that in our brokenness and in the, the shattered stories is actually at work creating a beautiful mosaic out of our broken, busted stories, something so much bigger and better than we could ever, ever imagine. And listen, I don't know, I don't know all of the stories in this room. I know a lot of them, man. I know, I know that in the last year, there are people in this room who've had to bury loved ones. You've, you've watched family members walk away from the faith, wrestled with infertility, in a pandemic, you've struggled with just crippling financial anxiety, marriages that have crumbled. I don't know, I don't know every story, but the King, Jesus, he knows every one of your stories. And and hey, here. Here's what's so amazing. He doesn't just know. He actually cares about your story. And I, and I don't say this flippantly. Like, this is true. This is true. And, I, and, and it's this, is that he actually, he cares about your story, and he's not going to waste a single bit of it. Okay? That's the truth, man. And it's not just that Jesus is going to rewrite your story. It's not just that, you know, if you have pain or sadness in your story that he's, there's going to be like this M. Night Shyamalan plot twist and you're going to get like, you know, the happily ever after that you really want. And, you know, not, I mean, maybe, but that's not what it means. What it means is that your story gets sewn into this, uh, this kingdom story with that same seed. And it's part of a much bigger story, a story that seemed probably way more insignificant than any of ours, where there is more pain and more trauma and more tragedy, and yet here's what God has done in this bigger story. In the quiet of the night, the Son of God was born to a couple of peasants in a backwood town. For 30 years, he lived in obscurity, working a Joe job, when he finally entered into his earthly ministry for three years, he preached and he healed in a town that was not important politically or culturally or geographically, insignificant. And then he was, he was publicly humiliated, tortured, executed, buried, buried. A lot like a mustard seed, right? And then life. And upon his, his physical resurrection, he had this small band of disciples who were deeply transformed, so deeply transformed that this small band of disciples of about 11 guys became about 2,000 people. And then, and then that small church started to just grow and spread, and it spread from Judea to Samaria, all to the ends of the earth. 
And for the last 2,000 years, the kingdom of God has been spreading to every nation and every tongue. And, and this has been going and going, even though the church is still, by the world's standards of wealth and power and influence and relevance, uh, is mostly laughable. And, but today, somewhere around 2 billion people call Jesus king. They look to Jesus as the lamp and the word of his kingdom as the seed. And friends, the day is coming when there will be a harvest where Jesus will come and wipe away every tear from every eye and he will finally make all things new. Listen, friends, in, in Jesus, your story gets to become a part of such a bigger story. In Jesus, your story that doesn't make any sense your story that's painful, the, story, the parts of your story that you're ashamed of, the parts of your story that you hate, the parts of your story that you can't stand, the parts of your story that you cry out to God in the middle of the night and you just go, why? This doesn't make sense. In Jesus, that story makes sense. In Jesus, that story is sown into a kingdom story, a kingdom with no end, with a king who actually knows you and he loves you deeply. And he's gonna give you refuge in his kingdom. That is the kind of king that he is. So will you stand with me, friends?